Hello and welcome to In A Different League, the official podcast of the original fantasy football game. We're your hosts, me, Chris Pilau. And me, Jesse Parker-Humphreys. And here's what's coming up on this week's show. Chris and I look back on game week 22 with a full round of midweek fixtures to discuss. Jamie and Nick join us from the 7-4 Football Tour, a league where there's an alternate meaning to the roles of Fantasy League manager and chairman. And in part three, we'll take a little look at the January transfer window, as well as the usual business, updates, news, explanations and everything that puts us in a different league. Chris, I feel like I haven't seen you in about three weeks or so. How, how have you been? How's your Fantasy League team going? Well, yeah, if you add everything together, it has everything has kind of slowed down with the FA Cup and everything. And it's kind of been two games, it's like dog years. Two game weeks is kind of like, what, three weeks? Maybe that's how it works. But yeah, my fantasy league is doing okay. I'm, in, I'm gutted that I was, wasn't on last week because I couldn't talk about my 30-point weekend in the FA Cup, which came out of nowhere. We didn't have an episode for the FA Cup, which I heard we cancelled perfe- purposefully. We moved it purposely so you couldn't talk yeah, about hang on, it. Hang on, let me try and get my head around actually what the days were. <laughs> uh, my team has done very well. Recently, in the FA Cup, got 30 points, believe it or not. Um, that, But that feels like an eternity ago. Um, and it now means that I'm top of my FA Cup table, which is great, because I thought I was out after the first round. And in the Premier League, Fantasy League, I picked up 13 points so far midweek. I am dropped from second to third, but I'm in the top three. I am happy. Are you happy, Jesse? And it's good to be back and to see you too. Oh, thank you. Um, I didn't have quite a good FA Cup weekend as you, but I got 10, which was about par. Chris is top of our league in FA Cup. He got 17 this round, so he's on 41. I'm in fourth on 31. Feels like there's quite a lot to play for still there, though. And then in this midweek, I, I thought I had an OK week, but again... It didn't really feel like that in the end. So I got 12. Still in fifth, just two points behind my sister in fourth, nine behind Julian in third. Um, But what's pleased me is my players have started scoring again. I went through a long period when no one was getting me any goals. And I got quite a few minus points, which took my score down. But I had goals from Rashford, Julian Alvarez, Saka and Nkunku. So I'm hoping this is like sort of the proof that I was right to stick with my players and now they're going to go on to a good run of form and propel me back up the table. Who have you been most tempted to kind of draw a question mark over? Because Rashford is a big one in our league. His name keeps getting banded around. Like is, but the, but, the, but Reese, who has him in our league, is saying he's just going to die on the Rashford hill. He's too scared to sell him um, or just to get rid of him. Yeah. Rashford is the person I was thinking of because we've got our um, auction on Wednesday. Uh, So, like, this is my moment to get rid of people. Until yesterday's game, I was gonna. But then when he comes back into the team and scores like that, you're like, am I really gonna be picking up enough value elsewhere to justify it? He's like... Like, I'm just having a look now. He's on 21 points for the season at this point, which is more than players in my team like Mitoma, more than Madison, who's obviously been out for ages. But I'm like, he is ticking along, like, just not 
at the level I wanted him to, because I kind of thought at this point in the season he might be on more like 45, 50 points. But yeah, I just I just don't know if I'm going to get something better at this point in the season. Yeah, it's kind of that stage of the season as well where you kind of you have to forget whatever you paid for him and you've got to forget the auction. You've kind of also got to imagine if he was suddenly available right now in the free agent pool, would you go for him? And you would. And, and I think in our league, we've had a... Uh, we were discussing it the other day. A lot of the, the selling, the players who have been sold, have got rid of, none of them have really worked out well for the people who have sold them. In our league, we've had people sell the likes of Bernardo Silva, Foden... The Doku Jackson switch that I told you about didn't work well for the person who picked up Doku who didn't mm. score a single point since. So it's kind of, you're going to regret it. And you may as well. It's almost like that playing four defenders thing. Just play four defenders and then it kind of removes any sort of like guilt of, oh, should I have done that? Should I not have done that? And I think it's the same with selling players of that calibre. If you sell them, it would feel so much worse, the regret of, of getting rid of them, than it is the kind of mediocrity of, oh, they haven't done so well for me this season. Yeah, and it's interesting. I'm just looking. I don't want to reveal too much about our free agents, pool in case people on are listening to this episode from my league. But I will just say that the number of players in the free agents pool with more points than Rashford this season is six. Yeah. So I think that kind of tells you, like, well, <laughs> it's really not like, it, it's not like you're missing out on, like, tons and tons of value elsewhere. Um, who's who's been coming through for you, Chris? My team has done very well over the last few weeks, last couple of months, moving up to second, obviously doing really well in the FA Cup. I think it's because I I do well when all of my players do well. I don't really have a player who's going to get sort of like six, nine points, uh, whatever it is, and who's, who's like really dominant in my team. Obviously, Ollie Watkins is in there, but Ollie Watkins hasn't really been scoring loads. He did score in midweek, but he hasn't been scoring loads recently. And I've been putting together uh, kind of combinations of, and actually picking up a few clean sheets and from defenders uh, and, and players who I brought in for a short period of time and who I might get rid of as well. So I brought in Ariola and Kilman in, uh, brought Kilman in in December and I think Ariola in in January as sort of like short fixes. Okay, they're going to get a certain amount of points for the next few weeks. But then you also need to know when to get rid of them so they don't start affecting you and you start getting minus points. Um, and again, I kind of don't really want to reveal what I'm going to do here, but I will. I am looking to kind of get rid of a couple and bring in a couple, but for a short period of time so that I can kind of get those combinations going. Michael Olise is back um, for Crystal Palace and he was my biggest player this week getting seven points. But I bought Michael Olise... I got him for free in November and did a deal, which I'm really starting to get worried about now because two of us went for Michael Elise in this November transfer window. And the agreement was that I would take him for free and he was injured at the time. Um, And I will sell him to the other manager uh, in March for 3 million if he's played for two months and he's played now for seven weeks. And I really, there was an option where it was going to be in February and I really wish I had done that because then it would have been void and, and it looks like I'm going to definitely go and get rid of Elise in March. I'll get money for him from this other manager who is the manager in second at the moment, so the manager I'm competing with. That could end up, yeah, almost winning the title for him, certainly being the difference between our two teams. So I am going to lose a big player in March and I just need to squeeze everything out of him uh, in the next few weeks now and hope that when I do get rid of him, 
he uh, I mean, so I'm, I'm not going to say it again like I did for Calvert-Lewin say hope he gets injured but hope he doesn't score as many fantasy league points for sure if I am the chairman of your fantasy league team I'm fuming when you as the director of football has come and told me that that's a deal you've done that's poor. I know it seemed it at the time he was injured, and it kind of like seemed a, a clever deal. And I'm going to get money. I don't, I'm the only manager who doesn't have any money left in the league now, so I will get an injection of cash in March. You're worried about your profit and sustainability. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. You? You're worried about getting a deduction. Exactly. <laughs> You've got to sell a homegrown yeah. talent for pure profit. And and I'm going to have to think about who I replace him with in March. So I kind of have to have half an eye on that. Um, I do have Callum hudson Adoy out on loan at the moment, but I don't think he's the answer to my problems when I lose Michael Elise. What stood out to you from, from this game week then? If we focus on the midweek fixtures that made me think it was the weekend when it wasn't. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I said I'd been picking up some clean sheets from my defenders um, of late, Ake and Kilman, but this week was was not a great one for clean sheets across the board. Um, I don't think there'll be many fantasy league managers who did get many or any really. Um, I doubt that the that there are many managers with Luton defenders in their teams. Um, so that hasn't been great and that's affected um, a lot of players. And I think, I mean, we'll, we'll go on to talk about the transfer window uh, later in the podcast as well, when Neil joins in part three. Um, but it's kind of, it's keeping an eye out now um, on those other teams in my league who are starting to get those players back. So Phil, who was in the, who was still in the lead, has been in the lead. He had Haaland. He's got Haaland. Um, but we know now that Haaland is going to potentially, you know, start scoring loads of points for him. Uh, and the same with De Bruyne. And it's like now Man City, it's kind of like grab who you can get now because they're going to go on this run now till the end of the season. And you could say the same with Liverpool. And whether Klopp's announcement will have an effect on that team I think I, I, I can imagine that even in your auction next week, there'll be a rush for a lot of Liverpool players if the, if managers don't have them, mm. Man City players if they don't have them. And it's that trend as well that I said a few weeks ago of kind of like the mid-table teams will start losing players. Well, people will start not going for those mid-table teams anymore now. And it's who in the relegation battle are you going to pick up? You, you're starting to look at Luton now, Sheffield United, um, and the signings that they've made and like, OK, these these teams now that are fighting for their lives, I think those are the teams that are going to have value more than the ones who are going to start to just drift into mid-table and, and not do much in the Premier League. Yeah, obviously, Elijah Adebayo picking up that incredible hat-trick for Luton against Brighton. He feels like someone worth keeping an eye on. Uh, ben Brereton-Diaz looks like he's settled in well to life in the, the Premier League as well, so... Again, someone who's potentially worth taking a look at there. I, I definitely agree. I do think, obviously, the relegation battle is where it's really interesting to see who you can potentially pick up because we're getting to the point of the season, aren't we, where sort of mid-table teams, they start to feel like they've got nothing much to play for. I mean, even just looking right now, like there's seven points between fifth and sixth. Uh, between Villa and West Ham and then there's a pretty big sort of chunk of teams who maybe fancy themselves as managing to work themselves a bit further up the table but you know if you're someone like Bournemouth if you're someone like Fulham you you probably feel like you're you're safe at this point and you know what you're playing for changes. 
you raised your eyebrows a bit when I mentioned Klopp and Liverpool. I don't know if it's because you were you're still Liverpooled out after the last episode and Neil talking so much about them. Uh, but was that uh, about something? I was thinking about refereeing. Ah, I see. Of course, obviously. I was thinking about refereeing and Klopp and what impact that might have. Uh, <laughs> I'm not normally a referee conspiracy theory, but wow, my head did get quite hot in that um, in that match. I mean, Chelsea were bad and deserved to lose, but sometimes you're just like, what decisions are being made here? And I do think those things have an effect. You know, I think. Um, raucous home grounds can always have an effect on refs and I do wonder if there's sort of a sense that Anfield's going to be particularly loud and particularly noisy and yeah I mean certainly based off the evidence of the the Chelsea game I don't feel like Liverpool were quite as convincing against Norwich and which is depressing thing to actually say I mean Chris you're the Liverpool douser how does it make you feel about Liverpool now I've always been like I mean I think they're they look very good but yeah, I mean, I can, I still, I know, I'm not going to just jump from one thought to the other. I, I do wonder whether the Klopp thing will have an effect now. And I, and I did, that was my immediate thought when Klopp made his announcement. I, I mean, at first it was like, oh God, the next few months are going to be unbearable. And also the Liverpool fans, uh, whether Neil is included in this or not, will be, will be unbearable. And they will see it as that they played their part. And the games at Anfield, you need to make sure that when you actually turn on a Liverpool game, that you probably turn it on one minute in, so you don't have to watch the on their walk alone uh, and everything that goes on there. So, and and but in terms of the way that they're playing, uh, I still kind of don't really know what they are. Is that kind of adding to their strength a bit? That that the front three are starting to gel a bit now, uh, and I think it's mainly as well because of Nunes, because you you just. You don't know what he's going to do other than hit the crossbar or hit the post uh, a million times every game. Oh my god! I can I I just have to say, Klopp turning his back for Nunez's penalty is one of the most tin pot things I've seen in the league this entire season. You're two nil up already. Like what? What are you turning your back for? I know. I told you, Sorry, I, I hated that the last time that he, that he did that, and he spoke about it too. And it's look, it's interesting to, from a fantasy league point of view, those players will have been assigned for a long time now. Uh, it's not like they're suddenly going to become available. And you're certainly, if you've got Nunes, you're not going to be like, oh, I'm going to get rid of him because he doesn't, you know, he is he is scoring points, uh, but he was he he must frustrate a lot of the managers that, that are out there. Um, and yeah, frustrate is the word. Look, Liverpool are going to frustrate. Uh, me, they might frustrate you. They might frustrate a lot of people. Uh, are they going to win the league? I, I still think that they won't, but they, they're going to be up there. They, they are going to. They are a team to to fear. And the fact that I've got Andy Robertson, who's now coming back, it's really annoying with Andy Robertson because he's back, but Klopp keeps bringing him on in the second half, of the last couple of games, which means that he's not even getting his appearance point, and he's getting minus points when they concede afterwards. So he needs to start starting Andy Robertson now, and that does. <laughs> excite me that I've sudden that my fullback is going to start playing again and playing for Liverpool I think he will start picking up points if he does start now so I think that's an indication of of where I think Liverpool will be going and yeah it's, it's going to be an, an interesting end to the season for sure yeah I mean to have only lost one game in the league this season is does feel very very impressive and we're you know 22 games in um, anything else that maybe caught your attention before we potentially throw to the weekend that it is upon us right now, basically. Yeah, no, not really. I mean, other than, you know, it was it was mad what happened in the United game last night um, against Wolves. 
Um, couldn't quite believe it. I mean, I, I, I'd be interested to know if people are starting to get rid of their Man United defenders because that's a trend that has just continued throughout the whole season. I think you're, you're fine if you've got the, their midfielders and their forwards, but yesterday was an example of like you just cannot trust them at all at the back. So um, I'd be interested to, to know about that. I've got Bruno Fernandes for United and, and he did score points last night, but he hasn't had the season that he did. He hasn't had the, the season that he did last season or the season before, which which inspired me to go for him in the auction and make him one of my most expensive players. But United are interesting. They will score points in Fantasy League, but yeah, they will concede. So it doesn't take a genius to say, I don't think you should really be counting on their defenders at the moment. They've got quite an interesting run of fixtures as well. Um, So they've got West Ham at Old Trafford this weekend and then away to Villa and away to Luton. And those two, Villa and Luton in particular, can't believe I'm saying this. At the start of the season, if if you told me that I was going to say United going away to Luton might be a really tough game, I'd have like been like, what has gone on? But I think that's true at this point. So it just feels with United, it's like constant boom and bust. Like they have these, like they'll have these great individual moments and then they'll have whatever the hell happened at Newport County. Mm. And then, you know, sometimes they'll bail themselves out, but it never feels very sustainable, but somehow they carry on on sort of this rolling trend. Like, I can't believe where they are. Like, from a Chelsea perspective, like, I can't believe they're above us in the table. It doesn't make sense. It drives me mad because they're they're so bad. They are so, so bad. Um, And and look, we, we spoke about trends there. We kind of see the trends that have happened. And that's why, you know, Villa losing at home was massive this week against Newcastle um, but you know they've been so strong at home and that's gone Brighton is another one and, and that maybe kind of takes us into I know they're not the first they play on Saturday sorry the Everton Tottenham game first but Brighton are playing Palace this weekend and Brighton is similar to Man United in, like, in that you don't know really what you're going to get but maybe you do actually but to contradict myself there because Brighton's run has been terrible three wins in 16 now for Brighton that surprised me when I read that. If, if the team was further down the table, that was kind of like be sacking territory. I mean, no, no one's really kind of saying to Zerbi out. That if anything, they're saying to Zerbi should go to Liverpool. But <laughs> Brighton aren't, haven't been on a on a good run of form for a while now, and it's kind of gone a bit unnoticed. Yeah, they again, they're, they're weird in, in terms of like it feels like... I think this is about something that's weird about the table right now, is that you can lose quite a lot of games but you don't really seem to move because I think everyone else is around in that mid-table is sort of so inconsistent like Chelsea will put a run together and then they'll get battered by Liverpool or you know like Newcastle uh, like lost what four games in a row or something and then they go and win at Villa um so I feel like as a result everyone sort of like buoys each other up and that's why you're kind of in this position where Brighton I feel like are a little bit a victim of some of their own ex expectations because that run of games is bad but to be in ninth in the table for a club like Brighton is like that on the face of it isn't bad at all like that's quite apart from the fact how well Deserby did at the end of last season you wouldn't be really thinking much of it but I do think their big problem is just defensively they remain very poor particularly in transition it feels like some of the goals are drying up a little bit although Xao Pedro is someone who's in pretty good form at the moment but again with the Zerbi you just can't rely on people playing because everyone gets rotated so much and obviously Matoma's been out for the month so I think that has been a big blow because he's been like one of their most consistent starting attackers yeah okay look they played Palace this weekend uh 
no idea what's going to happen in that game. <laughs> because Palace are equally... I mean, no, they should... Brighton should be Palace. Brighton should be Palace on Saturday. The reality is, I mean, it was an exciting game and it was great that, that Palace won against Sheffield United in midweek. Um, but it papers over cracks and, and there's been a lot of you know talk around Roy Hodgson. And rightly so... I don't think that necessarily means he needs to leave. I think it. I think as long as it's all about the succession plan now. So as long as Palace are lining someone up, and if they feel that person isn't available right now, then that's fine. But as long as they are doing something, then I'll be happy. But Palace that are not completely safe from what's going on, because as we said earlier, you've got a lot of teams who are really fighting now. Um, we're going to find out about Everton's point deduction. Um, and whether they're going to get some more points back. But all those teams below Palace, I, I, I wouldn't fancy Palace if they, were, if they were playing them, with the exception of Burnley, because of how, how Palace have been playing recently. So so it is a bit of a worry. And I think if you've got Palace players in Fantasy League, it's kind of like, OK, if you've got Elise and you've got Eze, and it, and it kind of it, it kind of dries up after that. And that's not a good sign that it's kind of only really two players it's mad. It's so strange how Palace have got now two forwards that they'll start in Mateta and Jordan Ayew, who will not get you fantasy league points, who are there to kind of do anything, you know, can hold the ball up well and can bring those other players players in. But they, you, you shouldn't expect them to score you um, to score you goals and to score you points. It's, it's OK saying that for one player. The fact that they've got two players doing that is a bit of a sign. So, yeah, good for you if you've got Elise Oneze. And for however long you have Elise before, before you sell him to a fellow <laughs> manager in March. <laughs> but, uh, but before that game, so that's a three o'clock game on Saturday. Uh, before that game, there is Everton Tottenham as the 12.30 time slot. Um, we're not going to go through every game. And obviously there are the three o'clock games as well. But is there anything on that Saturday? Sheffield United against Villa uh, is the 5.30 game as well. Uh, is there anything there that catches your eye? Potentially players that we might see we'll go on to talk about the transfer window, but there might, there might be games here where it's kind of like players to, to keep an eye on, new or old. Yeah, I mean, I, we haven't really spoken about Spurs at all, but obviously they've got Madison back and Timo Werner is, you know, looking like a little bit of a bright light in that he side. Well in I will say, as as a big Timo Werner fan, who I absolutely adored when he was at Chelsea, he has these moments where he'll look great one game and then he goes back to being Timo Werner. But... At the same time, again, when you're at this point in the season and it's someone who can pick up assists, um, who can pick up goals potentially, um, I think he's definitely someone to keep an eye on because, you know, we know Spurs like to play attacking football. They like to go for it. I think that suits him. Um, he's someone who needs sort of a, like a lot of chances, but potentially in, in the Spurs team, he's going to get them. Yeah, he's. I think it was, you could say the same when he was at Chelsea. Um, he does rely on the team coming to you you know he needs that space to run into so whether playing Everton like against the Sean Dyche defensive block depending on how they play it might not be the ideal game for him but Spurs suddenly do have options because since now that Madison's come back um, you've even got players like Brennan Johnson who have fitted into the team a bit a, a bit better now um, and they've got options going forward which means that they can return perhaps you know that was probably one of the reasons they brought Timo Werner in anyway and obviously you know Son didn't even, you know, isn't isn't even around at the moment, so he'll come back. So Tottenham are, are going to be 
pushing now for that top four. And I think that that, that Timo Werner coming in uh, provides them with options now. And they can actually, rather than at, at, at the start of the season, where it was kind of like all out, you didn't really know if it was sustainable. Um, it certainly looks like that they're a team who have now made a transfer, which which will which will provide them options. Um, and, and maybe we might see Postacoglu changing things and changing the way the shape and the way that he plays game to game depending on who the opponent is so it'll be interesting to see if Werner does start against Everton um, and how they're able to cope with, with with that team. I'm aware we've gone through a lot a lot a lot but let's just quickly I think to finish off there's five fixtures on Sunday so United West Ham, Chelsea Wolves, Bournemouth Forest and Brentford City actually that's on the Monday but obviously the big fixture of the weekend is Arsenal Liverpool we've done a bit of title race chat Arsenal obviously had that tricky run they were struggling quite a bit they've sort of fell off to an extent from the title race but they took their time over Forest but in the end it was quite a comfortable win they obviously smashed Palace in the week that you avoided coming on the show Um, unrelated I'm sure but where do you think this Arsenal team is it feels really important for them at this point in the season to get a win in this game I think yeah, a month ago, when we were coming into the general transfer window, we were talking about, you know, and obviously we were talking about Tony and seeing what was going to happen there. And the, the, But it was off the back of this game, I think, the FA Cup game, that we were saying they need to bring in, it's obvious they need to bring in a striker now. And obviously that they haven't done that. A lot of time has passed since then. It kind of feels like a distant memory. But I think that it, it, it'll be interesting to see if that kind of that same issues come up in exactly the same game now. Um, and, I, and I would be worried as an Arsenal fan. The, the goals have kind of like have dried up over the course of the last few months. Saka, I mean, look, Saka, you've got Saka and, and he did score the points this week, but they need Saka to be performing week in, week out if they're going to sustain or get close to what they were doing last season. Um, and I do think that they're missing a trick. I mean, uh, you know, you can't criticise them because you don't know what they were able to do and who was available. You don't just get someone for the sake of getting someone. But, and I, and I spoke earlier about the way that Liverpool have been playing. I think Liverpool will cause them problems. And I, and I do think Arsenal will regret if they're in a position to regret, if they're in a position to do something, uh, regret not getting that forward in beyond this season. I wonder what the future is for someone like Gabriel Jesus which seems kind of a, maybe a, a harsh criticism that they're not scoring the goals that are required to to do anything special. They came so close last year, and that was because every single week they were, they were putting out these brilliant performances. Arteta has even said himself they've got quite a, sco- a small squad, and and I think that that will ultimately cost them. But I don't really know if they're even themselves. Are they still talking about a title challenge? Are you still seeing them as someone who who could win the title? Or now, have their, even their expectations changed? And are they just looking to finish in the top three, in the top four? And is that the most important thing for them? I, I don't know. I kind of feel like there's, a, there's not that same momentum, obviously, as there was last season. But even since the start of this season, I, I don't think that many people are talking about Arsenal as being a title contender anymore. And ultimately, almost kind of like it doesn't really matter. It's now really between Liverpool and City and that's it. No, I think that's true. But I also wonder if that's something that might benefit Arsenal. I do think at points last season, it was like there was so much pressure on the team, which ultimately is quite young. I think it would be foolish to say that they are like out of it when they're only five points behind Liverpool and they play them this weekend. I do think if they lose to Liverpool, that will be really, really tough. But if they win, I think I don't see why you would say they're 
they're not in and around it. But I think the Klopp thing makes it feel extra tough compared to like a normal season because I do think that's just going to be um, such a big boost for Liverpool or like there's going to be, it, you know, the Chelsea women's team, obviously like the team that I predominantly cover for work um, and support, they've had, had the exact same thing with their manager, long-term managers announced that she's leaving at the end of the season. And you can just tell like every, every game, it's like becomes meaningful in a way that it just wouldn't otherwise. And I do think for Liverpool, that would be a really, really big boost. But all right, let's wrap up there then. We'll obviously be back at a more normal time in the week next week to, to talk through everything that happened over this weekend. But then we will be back in part two as we chat to Jamie Crooks and Nick Goldberg. <laughs> Right, so into part two, the part of the podcast where we find out about the different leagues that are out there and the players and managers who play within them. This week, we're joined by Jamie Crooks and Nick Goldberg from the 7-4 Football Tour. Hi, Jamie and Nick. Welcome to the podcast. Hi, Chris. Nice to see you. Nice to meet you. Hi, Chris. You are in a different league. Tell us about your league and we can start off with the league name, 7-4 Football Tour. I mean, it's got to have a story behind it. What is the story? The story is we actually used to, as a group of boys, used to play poker every Friday night um, back in the day before we all had families. And Friday night was something that we could actually see each other on. Randomly, I had this weird theory that seven and four came out on the flop more than any other cards. I was just I was just convinced in my, it's weird. I was convinced. So, so our poker league was the seven four poker tournament because we we had a league table. We're quite league table orientated, and then when we were trying to come up with a name for the fantasy league, which came after our poker tournament, we we just used that name. So that's that's why. And I don't think anyone actually in the league now. Probably many. We've obviously got many new managers ever question that, but uh, but that's that's where it came from. There was me thinking it was yeah. going to be some famous scoreline or something. Fortunately, not. You you feel fun. like you've landed on the perfect number of teams in your league, which I'm intrigued by. So tell us more about that. Yeah, you're wrong about this, <laughs> but tell us. Yeah, I know you you guys think that ten is the perfect number. I personally believe that fourteen is the best number we our league fluctuates between 12 and 14 every year i think 14 is the perfect number because it means that there's the a right amount of players in there to get a mixture of you know the top players from the good clubs but also you have to have a bit of good football knowledge about you to pick out some probably lesser known players from the you know the the, the teams lower down the table i think if you have 10 teams you normally have every team made up of kind of the top six top eight clubs yeah and just to build on that for me you know fancy league proper which i would describe it which is the way that we do it and all your listeners do it it's all about watching sheffield united play crystal palace and having a sheffield united right back because you've got no other choice that's what fans for me that's what fantasy league is about the moment you drop below kind of 11 10 11 you probably don't have as many random players and i just think i just think that that is the reason my my I, there's another league that used to be at 14 that over the years have has dwindled that i actually 
went and did their auction a few years ago and I think they had eight or nine teams and it was just everyone has the best team and it's and you end up just watching the top six seven teams every week and I just think it's it's different I, I like having I, I one year I had two Wigan defenders at the end of a season that really helped me. There's just no and and I was supporting Wigan even though they were competing with West Ham to stay up and you know I didn't win the league came second but but I remember that you know that that's part of the 14 team thing. I like how you described earlier that you no longer play the poker tournaments anymore because you know you've moved on your life you've got families and you've got other commitments. But there's still enough time to be sat down watching Sheffield United against Crystal Palace. Uh, I, I, does does the fantasy league drift into your home lives in that way? You've been playing it for 17. This is your 17th season now. Uh, is it something we've spoken before in other podcasts of kind of like other halves and family members rolling their eyes or perhaps even banning fantasy league being mentioned uh, at the dinner table or whatever? Has as is fantasy league kind of part of your 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 lives as well now even outside of the league it is for me I have a very understanding wife when it comes to football my wife's uh, dad is a huge United fan main United fan travels to pretty much every home and away game so um, when it comes to football generally get a pass for everything um, I'm, I'm a big Arsenal fan go home and away start taking the kids uh, but she's never given me much of a hard time when it comes to football it's just one of those things that's just accepted and that um, kind of spills over into Fantasy League. She knows that the auction night is is the most important night in the calendar. And yeah, when it when it comes to three o'clock on a Saturday, and I'm constantly checking scores and updating Fantasy League, um, it's kind of expected. And even my kids now, who are only nine and six, um, my my six year old constantly he's become obsessed with football. But he's also started to ask me questions about my Fantasy League team, and he wants to understand how it works. So. Maybe we actually have our first uh, father-son team now. One of our managers has been with us for a long time. Brought his son to the auction for the first time last year, and that's the first one. Uh, but maybe my uh, six-year-old will be coming next year. And for me, it it is just part of my life. We actually, this is probably I was just working out before the podcast. This is probably my twenty-eighth year of fantasy league, and we, me and my brother, did fantasy league. So. I'm sure you, you're more aware of this than me, but when David Baddiel and Frank Skinner had their show, there was a time where that show was going on, but there was no there was no Fancy League website. And we were so obsessed with the idea of Fancy League that we used to do all the point calculations ourselves. So we would hold an auction and then every Saturday night we'd watch Match of the Day and we would note the assists and goals and clean sheets so, you know, I was probably, he's five years older than me. I was probably 10, 11 years old when, when we started doing that. And I remember hosting the auctions in our family home. And we've kind of just grown up with it. I don't think we've, I've had a year because I used to do, I used to be in his league and then I grew up and started our own league 17 years ago. He still has his, I still have mine, or we still have ours. And yeah, it's it's part of it. And And, and you know, my wife will say, You've got West Ham you're obsessed with. I accept that. Like, I accept that, you know, your mood is dictated by West Ham. But Fancy League, you know, you've got Fancy League. And and quite frankly, I'm doing so badly this year. It's quite nice because I just don't... I'm now at the point where I don't really care. But when I'm close to the top, it can have almost as much impact as the West Ham result. If, you know, and if you forget to do your super subs, which occasionally happens, 
or the fantasy league website isn't perfect at that moment for for whatever reason and you haven't done it you could sit there and worry for hours that you've that you've missed the two points that you'd have got for an assist just because you forgot and that can like Im- impact my weekend so it definitely does it does have an impact it's very sad sitting here uh, saying you're that. among friends i think on that one it's... yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and jamie you've got um even more kind of added kind of responsibilities and roles because you famously play with an assistant. I don't even say an assistant. Is it an assistant or are you a, or are you kind of like the, are you co-managers or, or is that even that under? Or is Jamie the assistant? That's a good question. Exactly. Nick calls me out as the assistant the whole time. He refers to it as Bradley's team. But yeah, it was funny. I was on the train a few weeks ago listening to the podcast and I think it was you, Jesse, that, um, gave me a shout out say because i think i was in the same european league as your oh. sister. and you said that uh, and you said that you've never seen uh this is the first time for you where you've seen a team that's got two managers yeah bradley is uh, one of my oldest friends actually i think when nick started the league 17 years ago I think Bradley was a little bit scared of all the rules. He's not the best at IT. He's not particularly tech savvy. Thought he might make a mistake. So he asked me if we could partner up. And that was 17 years ago. We're still going strong. I like to call him, he used to call me Arsene Wenger and I like to call him Pat Rice. But it does change every now and then. We've got a good working relationship when it comes to Fantasy League. And, And the great thing is, is that, like I said, he's one of my oldest friends throughout the course of the season. We're messaging each other on WhatsApp pretty much every day. Whenever there's a game going on, I update him with a goal or something or, or an assist. And we get to talk the whole time about transfers and, and, it, and it's really nice. And then when, funny, when the season closes up you know, throughout the whole summer, we probably don't speak to each other <laughs> until, <laughs> until, until a couple of weeks before the auction starts again. And, we, and, then, we, and, then, we, and then we're back on WhatsApp it's, it, and it's great. I really actually, you know, we actually got a few partnerships in our league. But um, yeah, Bradley and I have been together going strong for 17 years. How does it years. work then in terms of deciding, like what happens if you disagree on who you're bidding for? <laughs> Nick's nodding. So I'm intrigued. I need to hear more about the inner workings of this partnership. At the auction, there's been some funny moments. Um, generally, if he feels strongly about something or if I feel strongly about something, then we will um, we'll let each other go with, our, go with our instinct. So, for example, I really wanted Mudrick this year. I had a feeling it was going to be his year. Bradley let me sign Mudrick and now every single week he reminds me that it was the wrong decision to make. Much um, like how Chelsea feel, I imagine. But, <laughs> yes, probably, yes. Um, but then I get to remind him that at least we didn't sign him at <laughs> Arsenal because uh, that... But yeah, there've been some funny moments. I remember once he got up to go to the toilet um, during the auction, came back and I'd signed Michael Owen. It was when he had made that. Um, came back to Manchester United and he wasn't really playing. He wasn't very good. And yeah, Bradley never lets me live that one down. I think it was because uh, we were waiting on a. There was a Manchester United player that we particularly wanted. I can't remember who it was right now. And I signed Michael Owen. Uh, that was our second United player, and it meant that we couldn't actually go for the player we really wanted. Um, we always have our favourites and, and people that we mutually agree on. Um, I think we've had Brian and Buemo. Since Brentford got promoted into the Premier League, he's like our player. We've had him every single season. I think it's three three years in a row now. Um, and we've got we've got our favourites. Uh, we we and we and we have a kind of joint strategy. We never sign we never sign the big guns. We always kind of build a team around kind of you're good players but um we we never go out and spend 75 percent of our budget on one player which some people like to do um we always have a solid defense made up of uh, just four players we have a no tottenham policy 
uh, which I think someone mentioned a few weeks ago on the pods. We're both Arsenal fans and we will not sign Tottenham players. But what we do like to do is when the auction's going on, and I think Nick agrees with this as well, because most of our um, league is made up of Tottenham managers. Uh, we, when we go around in a circle calling out the players, we always call out the Tottenham players, but we don't want to get stuck with them uh, because we, just, uh, and we, we get the Tottenham players out first and we know all the managers are going to start bidding high. Uh, that worked against us this year when I think we called out Davison Sanchez as a free transfer and no one else wanted him. So we got stuck with Davison Sanchez for the first few weeks of the season. Um, but he actually got us a couple of clean sheets and as soon as we could get rid of him, we did. And he never played after that. There are moments, though, you can see where they've agreed on a player and they've agreed a limit in which they're going to bid. And and as you know, as a individual manager, you can sometimes get carried away and you set your limit at a number and you then, you know, you, you think you're close. So you keep bidding. And if one of them, when you're two and one keeps bidding, you can see the other one being like, stop bidding, stop bidding. And they keep going and they have like a kind of row and you, and it's quite funny to watch them and, and other managers will play with that and, and it creates quite some, some really good banter on the night. And they're not, as Jamie said, there are there are other partners as well in the in the group, in the league. I hope you don't mind me butting in here, but up until the point where you said you, uh, you exchanged messages occasionally on WhatsApp, I genuinely thought you were talking about an imaginary friend. It sounded like the heart play, to be honest. But uh, but clearly but clearly not. We need a picture of Bradley. I think we need a picture just to make sure that this is this is genuine. So uh, get us a picture and we'll share that on uh, share He's that on Twitter. He's definitely real. I'll find a picture and send it over. So it's not the only kind of thing that you've taken from the real world of of, of having assistant managers. But I, I also quite like the the rule that you've got where your budget is affected by where you finished the season before. So kind of success breeds more success. Maybe is that. That's something you've had in, in place for a long time. As, do you see an effect on that? And do you end up having sort of like a team that's got a dynasty because they just end up winning and, and, and being rich? Or or actually, is it is it kind of smaller gains that, that you'd get from that rule? Is it something you'd recommend to other leagues? Yeah, I mean, it, it was created. It was created to encourage people who are mid-table to keep going till the end of the season. The increments aren't that much, Jeff. Amy will know exactly what they are now. It's not it's not crazy difference between one place and another, but between the top and the bottom, you know, I think there is three or four million difference. We have a guy oh, twenty million. Oh yeah, in the new yeah, sorry, twenty million. Now we've so, changed the money recently. We used to have fifty million, but two years ago we uh, increased budgets <laughs> from fifty million to two hundred million. So the difference between uh, first place and last place is twenty million. So you start at two hundred million. Uh, for the team that came first in the previous season and then it's like a sliding scale down uh, all the way to 180 so the team who came bottom last year will only start with 180 million there's a very there's a very even split because we vote on the rule every year and it's generally like a seven seven or eight eight to six vote people are very split on whether they should keep it generally the guys who finish further down the table always think we should just have the same money Um, and the guys who finish higher but it, it's not that much of an advantage because we all know that we can waste 20 million very easily in the auction without any problem so you don't see the same the, the reason the same people are at the top is not because of the 20 million it's just because they know what they're doing a bit more than the other people yeah and last year the winner of the auction last year actually he was a old manager that had a gap year and came back so 
new managers have to start on 180 million as well, along with the bottom teams. And he ended up winning it. So he had the less amount of money. He had the only 180 million to spend at the auction and he ended up winning it. And he's top again now, but that's... He is. Yeah. Um, oh. And we have we have one manager, Adam, who is always bottom of the league. He's actually not in it this year. I think bottom, we have a rule where bottom at Christmas, if you're bottom after the Boxing Day fi- fixtures, you get removed from the league and all your players go back into the pot to be signed by other, uh, other managers. Uh, that's usually Adam, and Adam is always the one that makes a big deal out of our um, increments rule, um, and he, he always thinks that it should be a level playing field at the beginning of the season. Well, so the team completely disappears at Christmas? Yeah. The team disappears, you get you get kicked out of the league, and all your players go back into the pot. And again, it's to try and encourage people. I, I created that rule, and then I was the first person to finish bottom on Christmas. It was the worst. You can imagine the banter because everyone didn't really want to do the rule. And I said, let's do the rule. And then I finished Boston. It makes my rule of at least someone takes over that team and someone comes in to take over the team. But they kind of go out into non-existence. And talking about existence, one other thing that happens in your league, I can't get my head around the leagues that do this. You allow yourselves to sign players that aren't haven't even been signed at the club. You had Messi signed at your auction. It's crazy. Yeah. We only did this once. It was uh, last season. Nick thought it would be a good... Nick, Nick's always the one introducing new rules just to try and spice things up a bit. And he created this rule, or asked everybody if they were interested in doing this rule, where you could sign players who weren't on the official list. And obviously, if that player comes... They go out to auction as normal. If that player comes into the league, then great, you get to keep him. And if the player doesn't come, then you have to... You know, you lose the money and you have to pick up a team from the the, the free agent uh, from free agents. Uh, it backfired on year one uh, when one manager came in and basically signed half a team of players that weren't in the uh, that weren't actually in the list. So when it came to the night of me entering the teams after the auction into the system, we realised he didn't actually have a valid formation. He only had about six or seven players, and it caused uproar. Went on for on the WhatsApp group, blew up at kind of one o'clock in the morning. Uh, we ended up having to call in uh, one of our managers, Benji, who's a lawyer and a panel, and he had to write some. True. New, we had to write some new wording and and, and dish out uh, what we what everyone felt was an appropriate punishment. Um, and yeah, we won't be doing that rule again. I don't think. I still think the rules got legs. We just needed to control it, and you could just do it for one player. But everyone kind of voted it out. I got Lucas Paqueta, um, who hadn't yet signed. But I kind of knew he was going to sign and I got him for, for next to nothing. So I suppose, again, think about the fact that we're 14 teams. So it's back to the art question you asked at the beginning. You do run out of players and you end up signing such rubbish that there's, you know, there's a link that, you know, I don't know, Arsenal might sign some major foreign striker and people take a gamble and then everyone starts bidding on on the player and it can get quite fun. It just got too far when, and there is this guy, another Jamie in our league, who always pushes the rules to the extreme and finds loopholes in everything that we're doing. And he realized if he signed six rather than six bottom of the table midfielders, he could sign six people that were linked on Sky Sports News. He he might stand a chance of picking up three of them and he just took it to the extreme. So he ruined it for everyone, basically. I like. I agree. I think it's fun as a rule. I agree. We, we've had it before, and I think it's fine because I'm like, you know, that's that's your bet as much as everyone else's. But I I can see how having that many um that many players signed could cause an issue. Uh, you guys also have had experience of having someone in your league who's very very familiar 
with negotiating for players? Yeah, we had uh, a friend of mine is um, Jack Sullivan. And, you know, he is the son of the West Ham chairman. And he, you know, he did our league. And it's funny because, you know, he, he, he he's the chairman of the, the women's team as well. So he does buy players in, in real life. And he really wants to do the auction. And, and he really got involved, you know, and he's, he's, you know, he's come to the auction. It's, it's in the middle of the transfer window as well. So he's, he's probably used to dealing with agents and negotiating. And he sat there in, in Boreham Wood with us bidding on pretend players, but he was so into it. And he joined our group, our WhatsApp group and had a lot of banter. He didn't do very well. It was last year, so he didn't do very well. And he decided not to come back, but yeah, he was part of our league had a little advantage but didn't help him in any way because his advantage was mainly linked to West Ham who aren't very good so that just didn't help him at all I think at one point Jack's also quite a lot younger than all of us and I think at one point he sent Nick a message he couldn't believe that a group of grown married men were so interested in their fantasy league um he said what's up with all your mates nick uh <laughs> haven't have they all got kids to go to because i think you know the constant whatsapp messaging over our fantasy league but we're hoping to have jack back one year yeah. he was a good addi- he was definitely a good addition so 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 whilst we're on a sort of a west ham subject nick what what do you think of phillips and this seeing this should be a transfer day sort of special podcast today what are your thoughts on signing phillips good signing for the hammers or not if you'd have not watched last night's game, you'd have said a great signing. Um, I don't think there's probably been a debut where a midfielder has given a goal away like that within three minutes of their debut ever before. So putting that to one side, is he a good signing? Yes, we've signed a, an England international, someone who's got a lot to play for between now and the end of the season, someone I know that the manager has wanted for many years. The only thing I'd say is, you know, yes, he's great. He will make our team better, but we didn't really need that position. You know, West Ham have got, you know, we've replaced Declan Rice well. We've got, you know, Alvarez, who generally is a great player, you know, sitting next to Suchek, Ward-Prowse, Paqueta in there. You know, we've got we've got enough quality in that position and we really lack any depth up front. And, you know, for West Ham, so Phillips is a good signing it would have been a great signing if we'd assigned a couple of forward players as well. But again, in typical West Ham way, we didn't sign any forwards. We just sold a couple, but then reneged on that late on in the evening. So let's see what happens there. But he is a good sign. He's a great player. I mean, and he's a great character. And, you know, David Moyes is very particular about the characters he signs, which is why we, we don't sign many players. So long term, he'll be good if you excuse last night, it wasn't just the first three minutes. He looked like he hadn't played for about a year. Like you could just, he was so rusty for the whole hour that he played. Excellent. And, and the follow-on question to that, if you don't mind, look, looking at looking at your side in particular, you've got, you've got Zuma and you've got Emerson at the back. And I was looking at your free agents list and one of the, uh, the sides that have done, well, probably best outside the top sort of five or six teams is Everton. But no one seems to pick up Everton players in your league. Is there, is there a reason for that? Well, it's a good. I'm, I'm literally as as we come off this call, I'm going to go and look at the Everton. <laughs> but I had Dan Juma at the beginning. He didn't perform. I struggle. You know what it is for me personally. I struggle. I want to have players in teams that I can also watch, and they are so boring to watch as a yeah. team. 
They're like a bad version of West Ham. Wow, that's saying something. And I don't know. I don't know who... I actually don't know who I'd... Calvert-Lewin is always injured, so you can't really sign him. I don't know if he's anyone's got him, actually. Probably someone's got him. But no, I don't know. Jamie, I don't know. what. what have you got any? Have you ever had it? I've never really had Everton. We don't have any Everton players in our team, but like you just said, I'll definitely be having a look to see who's available. I've got to have two West Ham. The problem with West Ham players is a bit like the Spurs players. The moment they come out in the pot in the auction, everyone just bids them up so much that I can't afford them. And, you know, Bowen, Paqueta, Kudos went in the seal bids in a dodgy way, but that's another story for another day. I couldn't get any of the good ones. So, you know, we're pretty solid at the back. So, you know, hopefully a double clean sheet now and again makes it a bit more exciting to watch them. Fair enough, fair enough. Well, I won't, I won't, I won't say any more about Everton. I mean, looking over my left shoulder, you probably you can understand the reason why. So, I'm not going to say anything other than I agree yeah. wholeheartedly with you about uh, you know Everton yeah. style of football. They've been good this year, though. Really, if you take away the ten point thing, they've probably been mid table and given where they are and what they were last year, he's doing a very good job. Yes, <laughs> he says with uh, huge enthusiasm. No, absolutely, absolutely. They're missing. They're missing Decoy at the moment massively. Um, so uh, hopefully he'll be back soon. And uh, maybe kind of like looking ahead to the end of the season, Nick, you said you weren't doing particularly well. Um, are you already uh, starting to think of what what rules you're going to suggest to implement uh, for next season's auction? Uh, what does the future hold for your team? Uh, and and this, similar with you, Jamie, uh, I don't you know. Could, could you ever see Bradley breaking away, maybe, and, and forming his own team? He definitely won't be breaking away. I have suggested it one or two times when we've been down to kind of 10 or 11 teams and we wanted to build it and I suggested it to him, but he's not having any of it. He wants to stick with me. Um, In terms of new rules, I've actually just from listening to the podcast where you've had other uh, chairmen on and other players on talking about some of their rules. There have been some good ones. Um, I particularly like the one where if you miss the auction, you can build a team uh, post-auction just from all the players that are left over. Um, I thought that was a good one because we occasionally do have managers that can't come. And our rule is if you can't come to the auction, you can send a proxy um, and you can be on the phone with them or on Zoom with them, kind of tracking the auction and they can bid on your behalf. We tried it once uh, where a manager couldn't come and we let him join via Zoom and it was just too difficult for him to bid for the players. Uh, But you are allowed to send a proxy. Uh, But yeah, I particularly like that rule. And there's there's been some other good ones and I'm sure there'll be some other ones uh, in other podcasts before the end of the season. I'm just hoping to climb the table so I can not start on the least amount of money. And last year, about this time last year, Jamie and and Bradley and I were going to an Arsenal game. And uh, I think I was about 50, 60 points behind and they were laughing at my team. And I finished ahead of them last year after that. So I think I'm about, I don't even, I don't, I think I'm about the same now, 50, 60 points. I've got Robertson, I've got Nkuku, you know, I've got some players that have been out for a long time that I've held on to, rightly or wrongly, that might start to perform. When you look at my team, it's not the worst team. I've had worse teams before. So I could climb the table and, you know, especially with a couple of Everton boys, <laughs> I might, you know, I might, I might climb that table and, you know, I'll, I'll have a target on someone and try and finish above them. So long as I don't go down, I think that that's, that's fine for me. And Kunku believers of the world unite, Nick. I'm glad someone else held on to him for the season of two. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know. Well, he was, but they're like all the, you know, you look at it and they're like, oh, he's going to be back in November. And, and then he doesn't come back till the middle of December. And then he gets injured again. But he scored. And, you know, he's clearly, clearly a good player. Your team is good, Nick. Just looking at it now. 
It's good. You got some. You got some of my players in there: Watkins and and Pedro. Yeah, Watkins, Pedro. You know, Neto's just got back for Wolves. Exactly. Robertson's about to come back. Yeah, I fancy a, a rise through the... T- I'm not going to win it this year, but, you know, top five finish is not beyond the realms of possibility if I have a bit of luck and make a few good transfers. Well, we'll keep an eye on your team. We'll keep an eye on your league. Uh, it's been brilliant to find out all about the uh, the 7-4 football tour. We hope the rest of the season goes well. And, and please do get in touch if you'd like to tell us about your league, about your teams, your crazy rules. You can reach us on email, podcast at fantasyleague.co.uk. You can also find us on social media at Fantasy League. Do get in touch. Or also let, let us know if there's a certain league or a certain thing that you, you're out there that, that you'd like to look for that's out there maybe. Uh, because it's very clear now that everyone plays in different ways. Thanks, Jamie. Thanks, Nick. And we'll see you all in part three. Welcome back to part three of In a Different League. And we are joined by Neil Mansfield, as always. We are going to make this one a little bit of a January transfer window special, which sounded like a much more exciting idea than we came up with it, than it actually proved to be based on what happened in the transfer window. Neil, I know you have been busy beavering away, adding all of these new players, which actually weren't that many new players, to the Fantasy League website. Yeah, hi Jesse, hi Chris. Yeah, well, it's funny, isn't it? I'm kind of expecting it to be a bit of a bit of a sort of a, a last week of uh, of really busy sort of transfer dealings, lots of stuff behind the lines, but it actually hasn't turned into one of those at all. Um, we were up last night adding or hoping to add all of the final sort of transfer day signings in um but uh, as usual opta were a little bit behind in terms of giving us updates so they all sort of fed through about half three this morning so at one o'clock i gave up this morning and they've all been added in today so uh, the transfer list is up to date including you know players that have moved between clubs but um yeah i mean where should we start with in terms of transfers what about someone like uh ribeiro for me, quite an interesting sign-in, I think. Has an opportunity to do fairly well at Forest. But he is, he's still only sort of, I think he's an under-20, isn't he? Has scored about, I think it's 11 goals in 40-odd appearances. But it is the third tier of Portuguese football. So I don't know really where that stands in terms of a comparison against the Premier League. I, I think it's interesting you actually bring him up, Neil, because I think the way that if, if anyone is has got like an auction coming up, a transfer window, sealed bids round, whatever it is, be interesting to just kind of obviously look at the list of the ins and outs. And that, and if you've got your fantasy league manager hat on, the things that you need to be looking for are a player who will... I mean, you're looking for the, the attacking players. Okay, so you're not really looking for a defence midfielder. I don't think you're really looking at a defender because there hasn't been a real big defender who's gone to a big team and it's only the big yeah. teams who have got any chance of getting a clean sheet, if at all. So then you're looking at an attacking player who is going to a team and you need to look for, at this stage of the season, an attacking player who is going to start or at least have an opportunity to start and who is going to bring in. And so Ribeiro, I think, would is not someone you would immediately go for because he is not the only attacking player that that Forrester brought in. They brought in Gio Reyna as well. And they are rotating. They have got a lot of attacking options. Um, Awini is just about to come back. As someone who owns Callum Hudson-Odoi but has him on loan, and I have him on loan because I don't really understand, he kind of never really starts the sort of like two, three games in a row. And I'm sort of 
waiting, maybe waiting nearly as long as Jesse for for Callum Hudson-Odoi to come good and to do something. So I think that someone like Ribeiro, I mean, yeah, Juan, he's Portuguese, Nuno maybe is someone that is just going to build a team around. But I don't think so. So I would put him lower in that list. But I think it's interesting, like I say, it's interesting that you brought him up because I think that that's the way that you do need to start looking at these transfers now. Someone who would be more perhaps top of that list and someone that maybe Jesse can talk about would be someone like Brozier from Chelsea who has gone to Fulham. Yeah, I think Brozier's an interesting option, mainly from a fantasy league perspective because of what's been reported about the deal Chelsea have done. So Chelsea were originally looking to sell him, but they wanted around sort of 50 million or so, which they obviously weren't going to get. So they then were happy to settle for a loan. He's ended up at Fulham, but the terms of the loan seem to be that Fulham have paid sort of a, a nominal original fee of just under 1 million. But if Broger doesn't play a certain amount of games, that fee rises. So there's supposedly an incentive for Fulham to play him so they pay less money for him. Now, do, how much does this matter to a club? If like if you ultimately end up thinking the player isn't very good, maybe you, you don't you don't really care if you drop an extra couple of million on him. But I do also think it will be interesting to see how he does perform. Um, obviously, Raul Jimenez has sort of picked up a little bit at Fulham, but they doesn't really feel like they've managed to replace Mitrovic in any way, shape or form. Broja's shown that he can and will score goals, like both in his loan at Southampton and his time at Chelsea. He's not had an amazing season so far at Chelsea, but he obviously is coming back from an ACL injury and it's a lot of sort of pressure to play in that role. And I definitely think he probably will pick up a fair few points at Fulham. Other interesting Chelsea loanee that might be worth looking at, because he did get an assist against Manchester City this week, is David Datro Fofana, who's gone to Burnley. Obviously, earlier in the show, Chris and I were talking about those sort of potential relegation players who might be worth having a look at. Like, I don't know how much Fofana's going to play. And maybe, you know, the assist against Man City will be his, his best moment of his loan spell. But he's certainly a highly, very highly thought of, but very raw young striker. He was on he was on loan at Union Berlin for the first half of the season. He struggled there, but also Union Berlin are going through a tough time, having like risen to the sort of heights of German football, like well beyond kind of their station. And, and they sacked their long-term manager sort of earlier on in the season. Um, but yeah, he also might be another interesting one to have a look at. The one that that, that that interests me probably most of all is is Rogers from uh, Villa. Um, you know, signed from Middlesbrough. He's got some real sort of you know experience. It's the City Academy as well. If you look at his performance in the Championship, I think he's got nine assists and seven goals. So it's a real opportunity. Pick it up on what Chris was saying around. You know, you're really looking at someone that offers you know a striking option. The question is, is he going to play a lot at Villa? That's the question you've got to ask. You know, I think I think he offers an amazing, if you like, sort of a caliber of you know coming into the Premier League, having having scored quite a few in the Championship. He's not quite a Ribeiro, you know, where third division of the Portuguese is a bit untried. He's got that experience. So the question really is: Is he going to play enough? That's the thing. It's like you need to go even further. And like, is he going to start as someone who had Zaniolo at Villa at the start of the season? Zaniolo is starting to to show a bit more promise now, actually, now that he's settled. But he frustrated me and I got rid of him because he wasn't starting. Even though he was playing most games, he was coming on. He wasn't starting. And that was enough for me to be like, sorry, in this game, I need you to start. I need you to to show promise, basically, when you're on the pitch. But you're right, that's an interesting one because they've, they've 
tried so hard, like kept coming back for him, like so desperate for him as, as if he was kind of like going to solve all of their problems. You're like, well, immediately? I'm not really sure. Um, I didn't realise, by the way, Ribeiro, I'm not gonna, we're not going to go back and talk about Ribeiro, but Ribeiro is only in on loan, which does add a bit of a question mark as to whether that means that he will be playing. Uh, I'm not too sure. I think that's a Forest FFP worry because I think they've got an option on it. Okay. So, but it's a fair point. Uh, the other player that I was going to mention who I think sort of been forgotten a little bit about because he signed a bit earlier on in the window is Valentin Barco, who's gone to Brighton. Yeah. He does predominantly play as a fullback and we know that Brighton's defence isn't the hottest in the world. But I wonder if he's one to watch with a view to next season as opposed to getting him in now. Um, but he is someone that you are into your hipster analysis of football that is very, very highly rated and highly thought of. I was keeping that quiet for my own little league, but I agree. I think I think the issue this year is that we've listed him as a as a fullback. So defensively, uh, Brighton at the moment that's going to be a, a that's going to be a bold decision if you bring him if you bring him in. But yeah, absolutely cracking player. It's interesting what you said there, Jesse, as well of kind of looking for next season because I think that's something you can start doing now. No matter how well or not you're doing this season, there are a lot of players, talk about players that have settled, that take time to settle. I remember this time last year, Cunha arriving at Wolves and there was a bit of a battle for him and the, and the manager who ended up getting him was like, oh, it was quite disappointing. And because he had him and he wasn't scoring him points, he kind of saw it as sort of like a disappointing signing and sort of like, okay, I'm not going to bother with him. But if you keep, if I, I watched a bit of Wolves last season and I was like, and and I just knew that he was like someone to to potentially target for the new season once once you settle in. So it's something that you can and perhaps should be doing already. Starting to think about the auction, these players who might who may be the ones that by the time that they've gelled will be worth getting um, a bargain at the auction next season for sure. hundred percent, absolutely endorse that view. Which leads me on quite nicely to a point about. Um, a player who wasn't signed in a transfer window, but should be on top of everyone's list. As I suspect, he has not necessarily been transferred into that many sides. And that is, of course, the wonderful Connor Bradley, who um, <laughs> who Jesse is looking at me now, almost wanting to sort of, you know, give me a thumbs down on the screen. But I, I genuinely think, you know, four games, you know, 16 points, four assists and a goal. You've got to be looking at him. If you haven't bought him in, I know there's talk of, you know, Trent is fit again and obviously he was back again. But right now there's there's talk, you know, of 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 him retaining his place and possibly pushing Trent more permanently into that midfield role. Whether or not that happens or not, I think he's definitely worth a gamble. You can't leave someone like that alone. And technically, I know this is a transfer window. You know, we can't really talk about players that have been there since the start of the season. But I think Connor Bradley is an absolute must for people to look at. Yeah, and it also could be a good FA Cup signing. Uh, and there are other players who fit that category as well of kind of coming back, not necessarily transfer signings, but I'm sure that Ivan Tony will now start dropping into a lot of players' teams if he wasn't there already. Yeah, there are some there are some players to go for and to spend a bit of cash on uh, this January, February, or in February already, this February for sure. I'd, l- I'd love to end on just a wild card one for me, which it's just a discussion point more so than anything, because he's not signed for any... Premier League team, but he is still available. And that's Jesse Lingard. What on earth is going on with Jesse Lingard? The rumours are today that he's signing for some South Korean side, FC Seoul. I mean, what's happened? What has happened there? Has he just 
is, is just fallen out of, you know, of love of the game? You know, is he just chasing money? Is that a terrible thing to say? I, I don't know why. Surely there's got to be a side, you know, in the Premier League, you know, that would that would pick him up. Or is he or is he sort of, I don't know, tricky character to sort of squeeze into your side and the, the, it, it's character driven more so than money? I don't know. Interesting one. I, mean, I think that there are some personal issues and I think that there was also a kind of sliding doors moment where he could have <laughs> gone back to West Ham, but wasn't able to. Yeah. And then that kind of, you know, and, and, and I think that there were some kind of personal issues as well. Um, yeah, it's, he was a great fantasy league player when he was for a period at Man United, when he did go to West Ham. And it's a shame to, to, to see that, to, to not kind of like see a, a third apparition of that form, it seems. Sometimes with, with players, it's just you need the right environments to to perform at the level you're able to. And I think Lingard's always looked like a player who really needs certain things around him to perform at the highest level. But that wraps us up for this week uh, and our shorter than expected January transfer window roundup because it was a bit of a quiet window. But I do think there are some gems worth betting on or unearthing there. And as Chris said, yeah, I do think it's worth starting to think a little bit about next year as as we head into this point because it's often the case that players who come in in January sometimes find their best form once the new season begins and they've had six months to bed into their team can give you a good start for the year to come um, Adam Wharton. thank you Neil we didn't, uh, yeah, uh, we, uh, shout, we didn't even a shout out to Adam Wharton to perhaps be that player basically all right you're not hopeful for this half of the season I'm though. not hopeful for anything with Crystal Palace this half of the season that is entirely fair. Set your expectations low and you shan't be disappointed. And as a Crystal Palace fan, that is the way to live, I believe. But thank you, Neil. Thank you, Chris. Thank you, producer Simon. Thank you, Jamie and Nick, for joining us as well in part two. If you want to get in touch with us, you can email us podcast at fantasyleague.co.uk or you can find us on social media at Fantasy League. We will see you all next week. 